You're listening to a sermon from Leewood Baptist Church. For more information about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. What we want to be as a church is to be a sending church. We want to see people go from this place to be missionaries. We want to see people go from this place to plant and replant churches. And so we want to be a sending, a multiplying church. And so we had the opportunity uh, to do that. And so Maggie uh, went on this trip about a month ago. Is that when you got back? Okay, so she got back just over a month ago. And so we've been working on a time for us as a church to hear about her trip and to see how God used us. Maggie, what made you decide to go on a missions trip? Like why a missions trip and why Peru? Um, well, is, it, is this working? Okay. Okay. Sorry. Um, but uh, I've always wanted to go on missions trips. Like my parents used to, oh gosh. My parents used to be missionaries, and I don't know, when I was little, I always wanted to go on a mission trip, but like, as I was growing up, I was never in the right place at the right time to go on a missions trip, but I really wanted to go, and um, then some Christians I knew went, hey, we're going to Peru in like a month, would you like to join us? And I'm like, sure. Okay, great. So you ended up, so you got invited to go on that, that missions trip. And so as you went on that trip, what was the highlight of the trip for you? I'm sure, you know, you go on these trips, there's a lot of highlights. But if you could, just for sake of time, pick <laughs> one highlight uh, of the trip. Like th- this was like really, really, really special. And you saw, you saw God do something that was really neat uh, there in Peru on your trip. Um, sorry, uh, uh, the highlight of the trip to me was um, the family connection that grew between me and my team. Mm-hmm. Um, because before Peru, we had no clue who any of each other were. But after Peru, it was sort of like we, we did have like a family. And we all had this family dynamic between us. And we still talk and we still like bring um, prayer requests and praises to each other. And um, it's just... we grew to be a family over the course of like a week and it was it was pretty cool how did they divide you up into teams like how did you get on the, onto that team there in peru so um uh in peru we had uh eight squads and um you were divided up uh based on who recruited you so that you know uh whoever recruited you you were under um but they also had to sort of split it up depending on whatever. So, um, depending on stuff. But um, so the team I was with, I knew one person who was the leader, and he, like, he was one of the people that recruited me, and that was that. Was, uh, we were squad five, but okay. on my squad, we. So, what did your squad? What did your team do? What did you guys do while you were there in Peru? Um, we were in the city of Huancayo. Um, which is a major city up in the Andes. Uh, and because it was an urban area, we weren't like doing very much humanitarian. We were school trips. We'd go and evangelize in schools and stuff. Um, so every morning we'd pack up and we'd go and we'd hit like four schools. And um, I was 
going with a strongman routine. So they'd like bend bars and tear up phone books and stuff. And the kids are like, oh, wow, so cool. And they're like, hold on, let's talk about Jesus. And um, it, was, it was actually a very, very efficient tactic. Cool. What, did, what happened on the trip that you did not expect? Maybe it was food, travel, I don't know. What happened on the trip that you were like, I was not expecting that? <laughs> a lot. But um, what I really wasn't expecting were miracles. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, I hear from, like, you know, foreign missionaries and whatnot that, you know, healings and stuff does happen, mm-hmm. you know. But I never thought that I'd see, like, stuff happen. I mean, small miracles, big ones. I mean, people were healed. People, you know, it was... <laughs> yeah, I, I never thought that I'd actually see miracles happening. Like, this one girl's flight got completely canceled, um, so she couldn't get back home. And so she'd have to buy another plane ticket because the airport down there wasn't going to do anything. And random people who we'd never met donated the exact to the dollar amount that she needed Hmm. to fly. No more, no less. Exactly what she needed to fly. They didn't even know what we were collecting for. They're just... I had the feeling I needed to give this to you. Wow. <laughs> wow. What did you learn on the trip? What are maybe a couple things you learned while you were on the trip? Um, a couple things I've learned. Uh, most importantly to me, like spiritually, was that God's got me. I mean, you hear that like all the time, but it's really different when, you know, my flight was canceled as well and we had to, you know, figure out how to drive a taxi, like how to... It was, it was pretty much a miracle that I got here because, like, my flights were booked under different airlines than the ones I was given, and I'd, none of my stuff matched up. And you have to rely completely and fully on God and trust mm-hmm. that he is completely God, which yeah. he does. And, hey, I'm still, I, I made it into the country, so. <laughs> good. And you got out, um, so that's yeah, good, too. Yeah, I got out. You're home, um, so we're, we're glad about that. Yeah, it was. <laughs> good. You said um, before you went on this trip, you let some of uh, the folks in our faith family know that, you know, maybe you were praying about and considering, you know, being a missionary and and doing missions in your future. Did this trip to Peru have any effect on that, on on that future? As you you think about your future, you pray about your future. Yes, it did. In fact, I'm applying to a missionary school thing. Um, which I'll get that pastoral reference done for you. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> but, um, uh, if all goes according to plan, then I'll spend a few months here doing a discipleship training school. Um, uh, spend a few months here studying uh, evangelism and how to translate that across cultures and whatnot. And then I'll spend a few weeks out, abroad, somewhere. Don't know where yet. Somewhere. And like living on the mission field for... I don't know how long. Great. But probably only a few weeks. All right. Well, we'll continue to pray for you on that. This Faith family, this is what we want to see happen. We want to see people, again, sent out from here, going on these trips. Like, if you don't have a heart for missions, you need to go on a missions trip. All right. If you've got a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 10. Today, we continue on in our sermon series through Genesis. 
We saw at the beginning of Genesis that God is the creator of all things. We established at the very beginning that all things are for God, all things are about God, that this entire book of the Bible is about God and his redemptive plan for his people. So we saw in Genesis 1 the creation of the world. We saw in Genesis chapter 2 God creating humanity in the uh uh, God creating humanity in his image. I just want to just go back to that, that doctrine, that truth that we are made in the image of God. Yesterday, there was the shooting that took place in El Paso, targeting specifically Hispanic people by a white supremacist. And let me just say that as people of God, racism has no place in the church, and racism has no place at all in human thinking. It is just another sign of the fallen world that we are in, and the reason why racism is wrong, it is sinful, it is wicked, is because all humanity, man, woman, child, no matter skin color, no matter ethnicity, all are made in the image of God. So I just wanted to put that out there, and if you are a guest with us, that is what our church believes. That is what we will practice, and I can assure you as one of the pastors here that if there is in, in ever any hint of racism that comes a part of our church, that that will be dealt with harshly that will be dealt with swiftly, and church discipline will be enacted for that. So I just wanted to put that out there because we believe that all of humanity is made in the image of God. So that's for free, okay? We continued on here in Genesis chapter, uh, into Genesis chapter 3, and we saw that uh, the sinfulness of humanity, we saw that Adam and Eve disobeyed God, that they sinned, and then that because of that sin, we saw that all of humanity is now cursed of, by sin, and then we see the, the, the consequences of that. We see in Genesis chapter 4, Cain killing Abel. We see in Genesis chapter 5, the line of Seth. We see that people died, and people die because of sin. We then saw, though, a picture of Christ in the end of Genesis 4, of Seth, the promised son that was going to come and make all things right. Last week, we went through Genesis 6 through 9 very, very quickly. We were like dogs drinking from a fire hydrant. We saw Noah, and again, humanity had sinned and was so wicked that God destroyed humanity. And we saw that, Genesis 6 through 9, but then we saw God's grace in saving and sparing Noah and his family, and that how Jesus is, came to save us from our own sinfulness. So we saw this Genesis 1 and 2, this poetic creation account. We see the sinfulness of humanity. We see this cosmic disaster of a flood in Genesis 6 through 9. And then all of a sudden, we come to Genesis chapter 10, and it all comes to almost like a screeching halt. How many of you, and this usually happens around the new year, 
It's the new year. It's January 1st, and your New Year's resolution is, I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. How many of you have ever tried to do that or have done that? Okay, I think most of us have. This year, I'm going to read through the, uh, through the entire Bible. Maybe you're going to read it Genesis through Revelation. Maybe uh, as a family, a couple years ago, we read through the Bible chronologically. And so you go through these Bible reading plans, and you're, you're feeling good. Gen- uh, 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 January 1st, you're, you're, you're cruising right along, right? Genesis 1 and 2, and, and it's interesting, the creation of the world, and then the sinfulness of Adam and Eve, and Cain and Abel, and we keep reading. Reading uh, into Genesis chapter 6, and uh, we read about Noah and the flood, but then we come to Genesis chapter 10, and we come to Genesis chapter 10, and we see a lot of people with some names that are really hard to pronounce from some places that are really hard to pronounce, and even in Genesis 5, we see the line of Seth, but you know we, we can read through that pretty easily because those are names that are easy, pretty easy to pronounce. But we come to Genesis chapter 10, we come to what's called the Table of Nations, a genealogy, and we come to it, and if you're like me, what is the tendency to happen? You speed read it. Okay, so we get down here to Genesis chapter 10, verse 1. These are family records of Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, Japheth, that they also had sons of the flood. We have Japheth's sons, Gomer, Mahog, Med. Okay, got it. Okay, yep, some crazy names. Keep going down. Okay, verse 8. Yep, 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 yep. Got it, got it, got it. Okay, good. Right? That's what we do. Or if you do, you know, one of the audio Bibles where you pop in the CD of the Bible and what you do, you just kind of fast forward through that part. You know, we're going to hit skip on Genesis 10. This morning... Our time in God's Word is going to revolve around Genesis 10. All right, good. No one's got up and left yet, so we're all still here together this morning. I want us to see why this genealogy here in Genesis chapter 10 is very important. I want us to see why God inspired Moses, who wrote Genesis, to put this in here. Why is this important? So we're going to be here in Genesis chapter 10. I've debated all week if I was going to sit here and read even through Genesis chapter 10. And even as I sat there thinking, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to put myself through that. But as you look down through here, you're going to see all these names and places and and people groups and all of this, and it's going to be very hard. It'd be be hard to be laborious to go through that, but I want us to go turn back to Genesis chapter 3. See, we're going to see here in Genesis chapter 10 why this is important, but the reason why Genesis 10 is important is because of Genesis 3. We have to remember that as we read the Bible, they're not necessarily standalone chapters, that they're tied together, they work together. So go back to Genesis chapter 3. This is where Adam and Eve sinned. We went through this a few weeks ago, so we won't go through all of that. But go back to Genesis chapter 3 and look at verse 14. Adam and Eve have sinned, they've disobeyed God, they've eaten of the fruit that God said not to. And so look at Genesis chapter 14 God is talking to the serpent, talking to Satan who had 
tempted Adam and Eve and caused them to sin. And look at verse 14 and see what God says here. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. So obviously, this offspring of Eve's is very, very important. This is crucial. With the rest of the Bible revolves around these two pronouns, he and his. Who is this person? We talked about a couple weeks ago when we talked about Cain and Abel, how Eve may have thought that perhaps Cain was the one that was going to do this, that was going to bring salvation. Because we saw the name Cain means he's the one, he's here. So perhaps Eve thought that Cain was the one. But we know how that ended up. Cain murdering his brother Abel. We saw then the line of Seth, the new promised son, the one that was the substitute for Abel. And so the rest of the Bible hinges on this individual, the one that was going to crush the head of Satan. Satan would strike his heel and would crush, but the, the other, the, the one would crush his head. The rest of the Bible is about that. The rest of the Old Testament's leading up to that point. The whole Old Testament's promising and reminding people a rescuer is going to come, a Messiah is going to come, Jesus is going to come. And so when we get to Genesis chapter 10, this genealogy in Genesis chapter 10 hinges on this offspring, the one that was going to come. And so we see here in Genesis chapter 10, and I'm just going to get started. I'm not going to read through this whole thing. Just read through a few verses. It says, these are the family records of Noah's son, back in verse 1 of chapter 10. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. They also had sons after the flood. Japheth's sons, Gomar, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tyrus. Gomer's son, Ashkenaz, Riphath. Togarmah, and Japhon's sons, Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, and Donaniam. From these descendants, the people of the coasts and islands spread out into their lands. According to their clans and their nations, each one with its own language. And then we see Ham's sons. And there in verse 6, we go down into, and we go further, and we see all these sons, and all of a sudden we come down to go back down to verse 31. We see Shem's sons listed before verse 31, but look at verse 31 of chapter 10. It says, These are Shem's sons by their clans, according to their nations. These are the clans of Noah's sons according to their family records and their nations. The nations on earth spread out from these after the flood. And so we see how the nations begin to develop after the flood. 
And now go over to chapter 11 and look at verse 10. It says, these are the family records of Shem. Shem lived a hundred years and fathered Arpachshad two years after the flood. After he fathered Arpachshad, Shem lived 500 years and fathered other sons and daughters. And then we see as the different, we keep going down into the verses, we begin to see how this develops. We see this family line, this genealogy. Look at now verse 26 of Genesis chapter 11. Terah lived 70 years and fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. These are the family records of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans during his father's Terah's lifetime. Abram and Nahor took wives. Abram's wife was named Sarai. Nahor's wife was named Milcah. She was a daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Sarai was unable to conceive. She did not have a child. So we're going to see now in Genesis 10 and the last half of Genesis 11, this family line that develops all the way from Noah to Abram. And as we continue to go throughout the book of Genesis, Abram, whose name will be changed to Abraham, is going to be a very key piece to the puzzle to Genesis 3. Who is this offspring? Who is the one that is going to come and crush the head of Satan? Who is the rescuer? You see, you might sit here and you say, Adam, why are these genealogies here in Genesis 10 and Genesis 11 important? Because what we're doing here is we're tracing the line of descendants from Adam and Eve forward. It keeps us tuned in to what is most important in the story of redemption, the story of the Bible, or really who is the most important? Who's the key character? You know, some of these people that are mentioned in the Bible, some just have their name mentioned, they lived a few years and they died. Others get a little bit more of the narrative. But it's not the people, it's not the characters that are important. The one that is important is the promised offspring. The one who will one day be born and the one who will do battle with the offspring of the ancient serpent and he will win. Turn over to Galatians chapter 4. Look at Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. It says this, Paul writes this in Galatians 4 verse 4. He says, when the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. All right, hold that thought there, that when the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, turn over to Matthew chapter 1. 
There's another genealogy. We left it in Genesis 10 with Abram. Now turn over to Matthew chapter 1 and look at verse 2. Abraham is mentioned. So you see how Genesis 11 and Matthew 1 are tied together. Matthew 1 verse 2, or let's start verse 1. An account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac fathered Jacob. Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. Judah fathered Perez, Zerah, by Tamar. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Aram. Aram fathered Abinadab. Abinadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon, not Salmon, but Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered King David. David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. Solomon fathered Rehoboam. Rehoboam fathered Abjah. Abjah fathered Asa. Asa fathered Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat fathered Joram. Joram fathered Huzziah. Huzziah fathered Jotham. Jotham fathered Ahaz. Ahaz fathered Hezekiah. Hezekiah fathered Manasseh. Manasseh fathered Amon. Amon fathered Josiah. And Josiah fathered Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah fathered Shetili. Shetili fathered Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel fathered Abhud. Abhud fathered Elikim. Elikim fathered Azor. Azor fathered Zadok. Zadok fathered Achim. Achim fathered Elhud. Elhud fathered Eleazar. Eleazar fathered Mathen. Mathen fathered Jacob. And Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Christ. See, faith family, God, in the fullness of time, put a plan together for Eve's offspring to come and crush the head of the serpent. That is good news. That is the gospel. And so when we come to these genealogies, we're looking at God, how God used people to bring about His family, His plan of redemption. And so when we come to passages of Scripture like these genealogies, we need to keep our focus on this promised one, and not when we just come to genealogies. Whenever we come to any portion of Scripture, we must keep our focus on the promised one, and this keeps us from making the Bible all about us when it's really all about Him. And as we look at how Jesus then came through this genealogy, through this family line of Noah, and ultimately all the way back to Eve, when we look back at this family line, and we look at how Jesus took 12 disciples who then started the church there in Jerusalem, and the church then spread from Jerusalem 
into Asia to where all of Asia had heard the gospel, and it spread west into Europe. And as the gospel spread into Europe, the out of Europe, and you and I are sitting here today. So when we read these genealogies in Genesis 10 and Matthew 1, we are reading faith family history. We are connected here. And God put a family plan, a redemptive plan to redeem us to himself. So if you are here this morning and you're maybe your faith, perhaps you're waffling, you've got questions about who Jesus Christ is, can I tell you this is a well thought out plan that God put together to redeem you, to rescue you from your sin. And one day Jesus is going to return and he is going to crush the head of that serpent. He is going to crush the head of Satan and he's going to eradicate all evil from the planet. But also, the genealogy of Jesus shows us something else. It shows us that Jesus welcomes rebels, flagrant sinners, but forgiven sinners into his family. Because in this genealogy from Noah to Jesus, there's some really bad people listed through this. We're going to see that Abraham was a liar. Abraham has a tendency to lie to save his own skin. Isaac has a dysfunctional family with Jacob and Esau not getting along. Jacob's a deceiver. We scroll all the way down to King David, who's a murderer and an adulterer. We go down to Solomon, who had more wives than he knew what to do with. We go down through kings who worshipped idols. We see the people of Israel worshipping idols. And so when we see these genealogies, we see that Jesus welcomes flagrant but forgiven sinners into his family. To where, just like it said in Galatians 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son born of a woman to redeem, to buy back, to save. So when we consider these genealogies here, specifically in Genesis 10, but throughout the Bible, we must remember this is, yes, talking about us and our faith family history, but ultimately it's pointing to the promised offspring who would one day be born and will do battle with the offspring of that ancient serpent, and he will win, and he will be our king. And so this morning, if you are waffling on your faith and you are really considering, is any of this real? Is Jesus, did Jesus really come to save me? Is God good? Yes, God is good because he put a plan in place to save us. And so that should move us as God's people to share the gospel and that should move us to worship. Pray with me. God, we stand in awe about this detailed, redemptive plan that you put in place to save us. 
God, thank you for using sinful people to bring about your plan. And we even see how we as sinners are welcome to be adopted, to be redeemed, to be adopted as your sons and daughters. So God, I pray if that if there's anyone here that does not know you, that have, has not fully trusted in you for their salvation, they have not believed in you, and they have not confessed Jesus, you as Lord and Savior, I pray that you would open their eyes to the need of salvation, to open their eyes to the need of their sin, to the need of forgiveness of their sin. And then God, I pray for those of us who are your children, God, help us to continue the family line. Help us to share the gospel so that the genealogy will continue to grow to all nations, to all people, so they can know you and receive redemption to be adopted into your family. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you're in the Kansas City area, we'd love to have you be our guest. We're located at 8200 State Line Road in Leewood, Kansas. Worship services are on Sunday mornings at 1030. To learn more about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. Music